Hi, I'm Michelle Bangert, Managing Editor of Quality. I'm here today with Linda Goodman Marino of Paul Marino Gages. Thanks for joining us, Linda. Hi, Michelle. So today we wanted to talk more about styli, and you recently wrote about styli basics for us. So in your article, you talked about various styli options and how things have changed over the years. So could you start off by telling us what's new with styli these days? Well, uh, most of the materials are the changes. The structure, very little changing. Um, there's some old concepts that either were good or they were marginal. Um, but the ball sphere uh, portion or cylindrical portions have, have not changed much, um, except for the material. Um, for years, I've been working with the ruby ball, and I'm not going to say how long ago that's been. Um, but there's new materials out there. There's silicon, there's diamonds, there's all kinds of new things for, for new reasons. So any tips for manufacturers on how to select the right kind or what to do or not do when they're looking at these? Well, the, the material um, back early days, tungsten carbide and steel, they have different properties, they have wear factors. So they were never a good choice for the coordinate measuring machine environment. Um, the ruby became the standard and it still is the standard. Um, from 0.3 millimeters on up in diameter, uh, 0.1 actually was out there. You can't even see it. And if you touch it with your finger, the ball can just fall off and end up in your fingerprint. Um, but there are some operations, some applications. I think I sold one years and years ago, and someone said, how can I get in to check a tubing component of an artificial heart? Uh, with a company in Texas. And I said, well, the smallest thing we make is going to be 0.3. They said, ooh, can we get smaller? And then that the search was on. There's so many different applications for this kind of thing. So. Oh, the sky's the limit. And it's, and it's what makes it fun for me because I talk to people from all over manufacturing. I mean, it could be uh, a light socket or, like you said, a heart valve. Yeah, it's such important quality for that kind of thing too. Yes, it is. So for manufacturers who are trying to improve their measurement or accuracy, um, how would styli kind of fit into this or what should they know about these? Well, the first thing is the quality of the ruby, the roundness, the accuracy, and the grade. And the grades are in the ruby probably the highest that you can get. Um, uh, there is a standard in the industry and it is a gauge grade for uh, diameters and sphericity. Um, the, the tightest tolerance based on a mean size or diameter, um, it, you get too small and you lose some of that accuracy. You get too large and you lose accuracy. So um, over the years, a uh, two millimeter diameter has been like the weapon of choice. Um, it kind of does everything for most people. Um, it, it just it depends on the application, but the accuracy and the grade is normally for CMM styli, grade 10 or better. And so in terms of industries, are there certain areas that have been really big these days or um, areas that seem like they're kind of trending? Um, there's not too many people that are out there experimenting. 
Um, quite honestly, they may not have the knowledge that certain products are available. Specials are constant. People say, well, I got to get into a bore or a blindfold or something that is very difficult from the position of the coordinate measuring machine in the probing system. And this, is, this goes for all CMM, all measuring um, equipment, including height gauges. If it has very limited access or you're going to shank out is the, the term when you hit the shank versus the ball, you're going to have an error. So what happens is most people stick with a, a good diameter that will give them good feedback and will not get in the way of the application. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> but when you're trying when you're trying to do it, it, it makes all the sense in the world. It's like, oh my gosh, we need to turn a corner here and it's a hard right. Um, and our machine is not going to go hard right. So what do we do? Um, we have all kinds of different ways to get to that. Um, sometimes it, you may lose a little accuracy doing it. But for instance, if you need to go right, an L probe, something that looks like an L. So it takes a right angle, but it sticks out in space. And uh, it finds the part, does the job. Yeah, a lot of different solutions for a lot of different applications. So for if someone um, read your article, is there something you'd want them to make sure they take away from it? Or um, just kind of, would you summarize it for people a certain way? Well, I kind of ran across a lot of topics from the coordinate uh, world needs to have requalification. Basically, it needs to know the CMM with the Ruby probe or the diamond or the silicon needs to know where it is in the measuring envelope. It needs to qualify. So I talk a little bit about the recall sphere, um, the master sphere, there's a lot of different names for it. Um, you need to take measurements of that sphere. And that sphere also could be on an angle so you can get to the outer diameter of that sphere. So you can measure all the way around it, take a bunch of points, take some points off the top and say, yep, okay, I'm here. I'm a 25 millimeter ceramic sphere and I'm out here on an angle and I'm at the end of the CMM. And here, here, Mr. CMM, here's where I am. And after you've done that, then you can start measuring. So requalification spheres don't get a lot of publicity. Normally, a CMM manufacturer provides one, and it again has a, um, a spherical accuracy, normally a, a roundness test that will tell uh, the owner of the, of the uh, equipment that this is a high accuracy piece of equipment. It's to be protected, it's to be stored, because once that component is damaged or could be dirty, um, you're measuring that. You're measuring damage. You're measuring dust. So they need to be cared for and stored. Um, and as often as you're going to measure, you're going to start your day with one of those things. So you got to keep them nice and clean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Not just buying the equipment, but maintaining it well. Are there any tips you'd give on maintenance or things you think you've seen people do that they shouldn't do or ways that are kind of the best practice to take care of things? Um, most, of, most people will just kind of wipe them down with a little bit of rubbing alcohol if it is a ceramic sphere. 
and those spheres are traditionally 25 millimeters, sometimes smaller, sometimes larger, depending on the size of the machine. Um, and sometimes they're stored in a, in a case and only brought out to take um, a calibration. Uh, and then sometimes they're just left out on into the end of a CMM or um, it's on a base. It can be um, threaded uh, for position and left in position. Sometimes they put a little cover over it. Sometimes they just leave it out there because they're in a controlled environment, quite often a clean room. Um, so it's pretty safe. Mm -hmm. Unless somebody's in there and they're bouncing, you know, materials or parts off of it, and that's the only, the only thing I see. Some people just leave them out there, and um, they don't really go back and check them. And how can they, other than every day, you start your machine with one of those things? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think those are the main things I wanted to ask. But is there anything else you want to mention, or anything you want to include in the article and didn't have room for? Ooh. Well, the one item that I'm not really familiar with, it's still fairly new, is the diamond coating on a sphere. And it's, it's really for more of a uh, long-term use. Um, very hard, obviously. Um, it's gonna last a little bit longer. So if you're in a scanning application, you're basically touching a part and dragging that sphere across your part and it's picking up measurements by taking millions of points, thousands of points. And um, that is a fairly new concept. They're a little bit on the pricey side. And if the shank and what we call the ferrule, the threaded portion, where the shank fits in, where the ball is assembled to the shank, if it's very tiny, um, you're going to snap and break it if you're not careful. So it's not going to matter whether you have a ruby on the end of it or a diamond. Um, if, you, if you snap it off, it's trash. Uh, don't even try to fix it. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I've had some people try to repair them, try to put uh, the ball back on. Uh, they might have purchased an inferior product, and it has um, just a, 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 a sphere that is mounted into a matching concave uh, with a drop of glue. Um, this is true in anything below a half millimeter. It is very, very tiny. The traditional and the best way to make a stylus is to utilize a drilled ruby. This means there's a blind hole to the half of the, of the hemisphere of the ruby itself. And then there's a gluing process and then there's a heating process. And this is a pretty typical way of doing things. And the smaller the ball, the harder it is to, to do this. And it's all pretty much done manually. So if you get too much glue around the bottom of the, the blind hole that goes onto what we call the pivot, which is a turned down section of the shank. The shank could be, say, two millimeters in diameter. The pivot could be uh, one and a half millimeters blind hole is one and a half millimeters, so it's a nice tight fit, but there is glue involved. And then the ball might be three millimeters. So it's a process that um, it takes a lot of technique. And if the ball falls off, get a new probe out, because you're going to measure a bunch of stuff that is going to end up with glue on the surface of the ball, because you're not the guy who's been doing this 
half his life. So my recommendation is if it's a $30 stylus, replace it. If it's a really expensive one, we don't repair, nobody repairs. Um, but just don't take matters into your own hand. Um, it's just too costly. I get some people who will call and say, well, I can just, can I just buy the balls? Can I just, you know, I want to fix them when I break them. Well, that's not how it works because the shank is damaged. Quite often it's bent from the thread portion that goes into the probe itself. So there's all kinds of room for error. And if you spend a whole day, eight hours nonstop or 10 hours of overtime and you're measuring things and it's all coming out all wrong, it's because you should have just replaced the probe. A lot cheaper. Yeah, it seems like a shame. Just waste all that time measuring and, you know, it's not worth it at all. So time is money, and that's usually where people, you know, they, they think they think that it's a good idea, but it it really mm -hmm. is. Probes are very, very expensive. Um, they're not anymore. They're, you know, it, it's it's something that you have to have every day and people are buying more and more every day. There are more and more CMMs out there in the world, so the costs are definitely come down. Yeah, that's a lot of good advice for people. So, all right. Well, I think that's all that we have time for, but I really appreciate um, your answers, Linda, and the article as well. So thank you again. Well, appreciate all your efforts, and thanks for having me. I've been around a while, so don't stop asking. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Linda. Take care.